Well, this morning we are in the second week of our Ask series, a series of questions we're endeavoring to answer that have been posed to Christians by those who are outside of the church. We asked on Facebook for people to say, what kind of question would you like to ask Christians? And we ended up with this list. We ended up with some others, but we ended up with these questions. And the question this morning is this. Why do Christians interpret the Bible differently, yet all think they're right? Okay? So you'll notice, if you had the schedule, that we had to shrink it down to fit it on the, on the schedule. And so some of those are... Um, shortened, but the, this is the actual question. Why do Christians interpret the Bible differently, yet all think that they're right? Now, before I go any farther, I want you to recognize that this is a good question. Because I think a lot of times, if you're like way on the inside, you sort of insulate yourself from questions that people who are on the outside might ask. And you think, well, that's a dumb question, or they couldn't possibly mean that. Well, I don't think you can dismiss people that way. I don't think you can dismiss this question that way. I mean, think about it. If you're on the outside looking in, okay, what are you going to do? used to be, you know, you'd turn to the yellow pages to find a church, right? Say, I'm going to just explore Christianity. Now you, you would say, you know, Church West Lynn on Google and see what comes up, right? And there wouldn't just be one. There would be a bunch. And if there were a bunch, you'd say, how are you going to know? Where should I start? The menu is like too enormous. Okay? And then if, suppose you were to ask a question of Google, like, what is the difference between all of these churches? Well, you'd probably never come out of your room because there just would be all sorts of answers to that question. But so, so it's a legitimate question for somebody who might be wanting to think about what Christianity is like. But there's so many variations. That's one thing. The other thing I think about this question that is really legitimate is that At least we profess a faith that says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. We would quote some Bible verses, which you'll see a little later, that say you should have a spirit of unity. And somebody on the outside who says, I don't know much, but I know this, that that one of the things that ought to happen is they, they ought to be able to get along But they don't. That's part of what makes this a good question. And so, we have to be able to to think about the way that we arrive at the things that we believe. We have to be able to think about the way that we understand the Bible and the way that we embrace its story and we embrace the Gospel. And not do it thoughtlessly or carelessly, but rather to be able to, to interact with God's Word in a way that is responsible, in a way that is 
life-giving. And so, please understand that this is a, I think this is a really legitimate question and one that bears us spending some time on this morning. Well, I think that there are three parts okay, to this question that I want to address. And for, if you're used to being around here, that's not the way I normally would go about constructing a sermon. But I, what I want to do this morning is just say, I think that there are three parts to this question. There is a part about Bible interpretation. There is a part about Christian unity. And then there, I think there is also a part at the very end, yet they all think they're right. They're all sort of full of themselves. And so there's humility peace. And so basically I want to take them not in that order. I'm going to start with the division part and then talk about the interpretation and then talk about humility. But those I think are the three facets of this question that make it interesting and that in some regard make it difficult. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us the standard, okay? It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Okay, well, there you go. Just right out the gate, we have a problem. The, the, the person asking the question has a legitimate issue, don't they? That you all agree. And that there be no divisions among you. And that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Right. So, it's a legitimate question to say they all read the same Bible and they don't, come, they don't agree on it, right? For it has been reported to me that close people that, there's no, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? See, I think this is what's behind the question. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. Now, the, the issue here, I think, is personalities. That they are following personalities, which, which is part of this division problem for us too. That people have their favorite pastors or preachers or podcasts and they're going to divide along the lines of what that person says rather than what it says necessarily in God's Word. But the main issue then is in the, the, the last part of this, this passage. It says, I did baptize, okay, the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. And he says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so, I wanted to go to this text because it acknowledges the problem. And it acknowledges that the problem is not okay. Is Christ divided? Well, of course He's not divided. But what it does do is it also says that there is a center that must hold. There, there is a center around which it's okay if you must divide. In other words, it's about the Gospel. It's about the news that Jesus Christ came 
that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that He died, was buried, and rose again so that you might be forgiven and reconciled to God. That's what's at the center. And that's the center that must hold. There is a sense, I imagine, in which this question makes some assumptions about the nature of Christianity that are not helpful. Suppose this question was asked by, from, by someone who was on the other side of the world, which I suppose if it, if it was a Facebook question, it could have been, right? And they assume that, that the United States is a Christian nation and therefore divided about things. Well, you would also probably respond that and say, not everyone who claims to be Christian is Christian. Okay, just because they live in the United States doesn't make them Christian. That there are some people who hold other opinions who have not submitted themselves to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so, there may be some automatic misunderstandings simply by the way that people um, claim to be Christians when in fact uh, they're not necessarily. But the reality of what makes someone a Christian and gives someone the hope that we cling to, that we say must be at the center, is this good news of Jesus, the cross of Christ that has the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So that we understand that there is no sin that's too great that can't be forgiven because of the work of Jesus. That there is no person who is so wretched that the love of God cannot reach them. Because the cross of Jesus Christ has power. And so, week after week, day after day, we continue to talk about and, and um, express and preach and believe this Gospel of the cross of Christ. And we place that at the center. One of the, um, one of the facts of history, even about our own church, is that we were part of a, an association of churches years and years ago before I was born that um, began to, to believe things that were not about the center. Believe that there were other ways that people could be made right with God. Other ways their sins could be forgiven. And began to send out missionaries who were not saying that Jesus was the only way to be made right with God. They were sending out missionaries that would... You know, I, I didn't hear them. I wasn't born yet. But more or less, whatever is okay. There are multiple ways. And they didn't cling to the center. And so, the, the movement of churches of which we're a part said, that's the center. We can't, we can't say that's okay. And so, they divided. But it was over the center, you see. And I think that's something that's important to understand is that there is a center and it's the Gospel of Jesus and the, the necessity and the work of the cross of Christ.
One of the ways that this is, um, that you can think about this, is that there are four categories of uh, things you might believe. Okay, the die for category uh, would be obviously the most serious, right? The divide for next, the debate for, and the decide for. So let me just see, see if I can illustrate this, and it's not, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but it'll give you an idea of kind of where you need to draw the lines. Because if you draw the lines in the wrong places, that's when, that's when the reputation of Jesus is injured. Okay, so, I'll start at the bottom. Okay, the decide for. Decide for things are pretty easy. Okay, I'm just, let's just take the Bible. Um, you're going to need to decide what version of the Bible you read. Alright? This is not the most serious question. Because, in all fairness, in my humble opinion, there are many versions of the Bible that will suit you just fine. Okay, to, to give you an idea of how, I don't know, lackadaisical I am about this, and how much freedom I want to give you to decide. Okay, the, the text I just, the text we always put up here is from the ESV version, okay, English Standard Version. But some of you may have said, oh, I, I forgot my Bible today. I'm going to pull the Bible out of the pew in front of me. It's not the ESV. I'm just going to say, there's like three of them and scattered throughout here. But the reality is the NIV that's in your, in the pew in front of you is fine too. You can certainly get the center there. And so, basically, you're just going to have to decide. Okay? If you're going to read your Bible at home and you've read it on, you know, one version all your life or another, maybe you're going to read a different version. You can make that decision. That's okay. Okay? And we'll still be friends. Okay? The debate for is uh, is a little more testy, you might say, just because uh, you know, and that that has to do with maybe which version of the Bible you think is the most accurate, or which version of the Bible you think is most trustworthy, and you might have a standard about how you're going to make that decision. Okay? Is it going to be how you know? literal of a translation it is from Hebrew to English or Greek to English. Okay, and if if that's not what you like, you can debate that with somebody. And you're still going to be okay. And you can still be happily in fellowship with the person on the other side of the pew from you. Okay? But you're going to have something to talk about, I imagine. Okay? The divide for would be uh, a little more serious still, where you've got uh, someone who is, say, um, dismissing the uh, inerrancy of God's Word. To say, you know what, the Bible you have, it doesn't matter what version, has you know, mistakes, or it's a human book. Okay? Somebody who's going to claim that or dismiss a lot of it because it's old. Okay? That's probably somebody that's not going to do very well at New Life Church. Okay? They would want to, they would divide from us or we would divide from them. And then the die for thing would be the fact that the Bible that you have is the revelation of God. It is God's Word. And if it is completely just uh, 
dismissed or somebody says you don't need it or you can't read it or whatever, you might say, you know what? No, that's that's the revelation of God that I must have and it might be something that you would die for. Okay, so did that give you a little bit of a, a, a difference of the levels? Now, the reason I say that is because some people will pin the wrong thing at the wrong level. Okay, I mean, I have known people who have said King James Version is something to divide for. That that is the inspired version of the Bible. And, and guess what that causes? That causes people to ask questions like the one we have today, doesn't it? Where, you know, they all have, you know, read the same Bible and come up with all these different conclusions. Well, because some people are majoring on things that are minor issues. So I just want to suggest that you you don't pin the wrong thing at the wrong place. And we do that all the time for other issues. Some people say, I'm going to divide over, you know, election or free will, or I'm going to die for you know, something that just isn't worth dying for. Or, conversely, I'm going to say it's not a very big deal about the Gospel. You can decide for it if you want. And so, getting the right thing at the right level is helpful when you're thinking about how you're going to, uh, you know, who you're going to be close in unity with. And there, there are certainly other illustrations, but that has to do with the division part of the question. That there are, we will divide about the center and we will decide and discuss uh, some of the things that are not so central. The second part of this question I think is, is helpful and I, I was realizing in, in preparation for this that I've been doing this for close to 30 years and I have never had a sermon where I've said what I'm about to say. Okay. Never really just said, this is how you understand your Bible. Okay, which the question had to do with interpretation of the Bible. And this comes in part because um, there are some who say, there is no truth, everything is interpretation. And we wouldn't say that. We would say there is truth, but you must understand that truth or interpret that truth correctly. And this, this, is, uh, this is why we would say it that way. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myth. It's not just something people made up. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the center. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Okay, so imagine that. They saw Jesus. When He received honor and glory from the Father and the voice was born to uh, to him by the mag- by majestic glory, and then, whoops, I don't know how always happens. This is the voice. It said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this very voice. So they were eyewitnesses. They heard the voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is Peter who is writing this, and then he says, "But we." have something better than eyewitness hearing the voice. We have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's 
own interpretation. So, people did not make up what's in your Bible. Right? This is not just some old dude sitting down deciding to write something. That's not how you got your Bible. Rather, he continues, says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the author of your Bible. Okay? Using okay, the personality and the person of the author. Over you know, hundreds of years, multiple continents, the, the theme runs together because the Holy Spirit is the author of the book. Okay? And the book contains the center about Jesus Christ. Okay? The way that we think about interpreting this, okay, it does need to be thought about. It does need to be careful. And so I, I hope that you will be careful when you read your Bibles. In, in Acts, the, the church uh, from Berea, were, they were commended because they paid attention. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and then they arrived there. They went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, those Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In other words, they made it a priority to understand the book that you have in front of you. Okay, That's what I hope you will do, is examine it daily. Understand the book. Here's another uh, example of this in the Scripture. In uh, the book of Nehemiah, they had, uh, they had come back from exile and they had, in some respect, recovered the, the Scriptures. And so they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. So the idea was that they not only gave the reading or the revelation in black and white, but they also gave the sense of it or gave the, the way that you would interpret or understand it. And so that's what we're talking about here when that's what the question is. How can, you, how can they all interpret it differently? So let me just give you this. Okay, Let me give you this. The way, the way you understand your Bible is the way that you understand every other communication. There's not a separate set of rules for your Bible because it's religious. You understand what I'm saying right now by virtue of some rules that if you took those same rules and consciously applied it to understanding the, the Bible that you read, it, w- it would really help you. Okay? Namely, the standard for communication is what the speaker or the writer intends. It's what the speaker or the writer intends to communicate. Alright? So, let me, let me illustrate this, okay? Uh, if I say, I gotta run. 
I got to run. How do you understand that? Okay. It's a simple enough sentence. In fact, it's hard to get a sentence any simpler than that. And it's hard to get one that could be understood in more ways than that one. Right? You've got to understand the words. Okay? So you'd say, run. <laughs> run. What are we going to do with run? Okay, run is something that's a little faster than walking, generally. Right? So you're going to, you're going to take that as sort of your central meaning. You're going to try and understand it. I've got to run. Well, you might think, aha, Pastor Scott is on a physical fitness kick. Okay? Now, and you could possibly understand that. Except that it's Sunday morning in church and I'm not going to go jogging right now. Okay? Um, what do you need beyond that? You need to know that the Word has some range to it, right? That, the, that run isn't only jogging or sprinting. That run is sometimes used metaphorically. Like uh, if my, I get a snag in my sock, I might have a run there. And I'm just confessing it to you this morning, I have a run. Right? That would be a little weird. <laughs> but it could be the case, right? Based on that sentence. Or, it could be, I mean that I said this yesterday, not today. So, a little historical context might be helpful, right? I was coaching a softball game yesterday. And I said, oh, I've got to run! Yay for our team, right? Could be that. But, I also had to leave that softball game early. And so, I told them, i got to run! But I didn't set out jogging. I got in my truck, right? You're thinking, how in the world can we possibly understand the English language? But see, what I'm saying here is that you have this exact same problem in real life all the time. And you've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? And so, let me just give you some uh, simple ways that I think will help you do some interpretation. Okay, the first thing you have to understand are the words. Okay, what do the words mean? What is the range of meaning inherent in those words? And, for instance, I mean, we, I, I brought this up to my life group last week and somebody suggested that, I mean, they had read their Bible and they had a... Um, they picked the word sleep out. Okay? Sleep. Now, you know what sleep means. Some of you are doing it right now. <laughs> sleep. Sleep sometimes is used, okay, the range of meaning in the Scripture for death. Right? There are some who sleep. Okay? We would, we would need to understand the, the range there in the Word in order to understand it when it's used in various places. But what's happened is that some people say sleep means sleep. And they build a doctrine of soul sleep on a particular word. Not allowing for it its full range of meaning. And so, there would be a sense in which even that very thing right there is a divide-for issue because they've misunderstood or uh, inappropriately uh, understood a word and built something around a word. Another um, would be 
you have to understand the paragraph. So you get a little more context. This would have really helped you with my whole run illustration, right? Had a little more context. You don't need a ton, but you need a little more. Okay, one of the places that this helps you as you are uh, reading your Bible, one of, one of the things that I hear all the time is that where two or three are gathered, right? We, we like to say that. Where two or three are gathered, okay? And we understand those words, two or three, okay, together, no big deal. Words are easy. Where two or three are gathered. But what if we looked at the paragraph? Okay? We'd be a little more careful about saying that if we looked at the paragraph. The paragraph has to do with conflict and church discipline. So the paragraph that that's in in Matthew 18 has to do with, with your brother offending you and you go to your brother. If your brother doesn't hear you, you take two or three witnesses because at the mouth of two or three, something is established and where two or three are gathered, there is God in their midst. God will help you reconcile with your brother or sister. God will help you rebuild those relationships. You can be courageous and not let the bitterness fester. That's what that means if you get the paragraph, you see. And that helps us. That really helps us. Okay? There's a bigger context. Okay? Genre is just the fancy way of saying what kind of speech or what kind of literature is it? Is it poetry? Is it a proverb? Is it uh, apocalyptic literature like Revelation? I mean, think about that. Okay, you take the genre of Re- Revelation. Okay, you've got a dragon. What are you going to do with the dragon? Is it going to be a literal dragon? Have you ever seen a literal dragon? Is it going to be a cartoon? And now you're going to learn how to tame your dragon? What are you going to do with the dragon? Maybe the kind of genre it is, the kind of apocalyptic literature, highlights the fact that there's, it's, it's a different kind of usage. It's a metaphor or it's a picture or it's an illustration of the character of this person. Okay? Or the genre of Proverbs. Several have built, uh, you know, life verses on Proverbs. A proverb is simply the way that things normally work. And so, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. That's not from the Bible. Okay? What, what kind of proverb is that? Will a stitch, if you get the stitch in time, is it always going to save nine? No. Generally, it's going to keep you from having to make other stitches. So, a stitch in time saves nine. That's the way that things normally work. So, get the stitch in there as quick as you can. Same thing with proverbs in the Scripture. Okay? That's the way that things normally work. That's, that's what we mean by genre. Okay, um, and there's more to say there. Okay, this is I'm gonna have to keep moving here. The book, the book of the Bible. How does the book of the Bible help you? The book of the Bible helps you because if you have a book that is um, a historical narrative, say like the book of Acts. Okay, have Acts is. Uh, the full title, at least in my Bible, is Acts of the Apostles. Okay? It's what they did. What they did is the story about what the church did. Okay, now, that might not sound very profound to you. But many people would take the book of Acts and they'd say, 
Oh, it's the book of Acts. It's about what the church should do. Or what the church should expect every time. That's not the book of Acts. The book of Acts is what the church did when it began. It is a description, not a prescription. Because of the kind of uh, genre it is, because of the book. Okay, and There are other places you would be informed by the way that John writes or Paul writes. Or the purpose of, uh, say, the book of Job. Or why Psalm 1 is it the first psalm in the book of Psalms. There's all these book-related ideas. Okay? Ecclesiastes is another. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. Okay? Great. What did you get out of church today? Okay? You need to know that, that there is a certain genre and the book of Ecclesiastes is wrapped in a perspective that includes God, but the, the center of Ecclesiastes is life without God. And you know what? If you've got life without God, that's the best you have. Right? Is eat, drink, and be merry. So the book matters. Old Testament, New Testament. Where you are in the progress of God's revelation matters. Okay? It matters if you are um, in the, in the uh, first five books of the Bible, say, in the uh, Pentateuch, where G- God is giving the, the law and there is... And that's where you are. It matters if you're reading in the Minor Prophets where people have gone into exile. Okay, it matters if God is dealing with His people Israel. Okay, here's another one that we normally goof up. Um, that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Okay, he's not talking about America. He's talking about Israel. Okay? Israel, who is the, by definition the people of God. That's who he's talking about. And that matters as you understand it. And so, what we're going to do is we're simply going to apply some of these simpler rules to the way we interpret. And then, the other thing that will help you get the right thing is a historical context. Which just means, outside of the Bible, is there anything there that informs us? And, you know, there are a number of things. One of the first things that comes to my mind are weights and measures. Like somebody gives a denarius, how much is it? Or they, uh, something's a cubit, how much is that? You're going to have to probably get that outside in your notes in your Bible or somewhere. And the historical context helps you. It helps you to know who the Assyrians were or who the Babylonians were, who the Philistines were, those sorts of things. So, there's more to say there, but... Um, this would be the way that you would have to understand. Me, when I'm speaking, this would be the way that you would have to understand the Scriptures as you read them. And it's harder, in all fairness, it's harder reading your Bible because you are separated from the writer by time and space and language. And so you need to work more carefully at it, really, is the thing. And so... So the reason I bring this up, okay, the reason I bring this up is our standard is we're doing our best to understand what God intended as He wrote the Scriptures. If we miss that, we miss it. Okay? 
we're, we're aiming for the same thing. Somebody else misses it in a different direction. Okay, are they going to, is there going to be complete unity? Probably not. We think that God's saying something different. But it's not God's fault. It's the fact that we haven't understood by using a process something like this. We have misunderstood what He said. Just like you misunderstand me on occasion. Okay? So it's just a, the process of human communication and we're still aiming at what did the author mean when he communicated. And then, I think the last piece is they all think they're right in the question. And I, I just want to submit to you, especially as you are interacting with, well, not especially, if you're acting with another human being, how's that? I was going to say, especially on the outside, but really, people inside too. Show some grace and humility and gentleness. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and it emphasizes why we get out of joint in the wrong ways. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, some, sometimes, especially if it doesn't concern the center, it's more important, the person is more important than the idea. The person is more important than being right. And, and frankly, I'm going to tell you this, it's harder to be humble when you're right than it is when you're wrong. And I want you to be right, but I also want you to be humble. And so, you know, live in a way worthy of the Lord in humility and gentleness. And then notice what it, it says here about how, the outcome. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God's interest in this is that He has revealed Himself to you. He's revealed Himself in, in some measure in creation or natural revelation. He has revealed Himself in the Bible in special revelation so that you might know Him. He wants to be known and He wants to be loved and He wants to um, have a relationship with you. So much so that in His revelation, He tells us about His Son who came to live and die and rise again so that you might be reconciled to Him. This special revelation of God matters because it tells us what is at the center. It tells us what we must cherish and hold on to. And then, I appeal to you to know and understand what He says, but to do it with humility and gentleness. Choosing the appropriate level of certainty on the things that you believe so that you might show before a watching world the unity that comes to the people of God because the Spirit of God is among them. And because they are united to one Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for Your patience with me as uh, I have misunderstood things. 
your patience with me as I have been uh, difficult with other people. And Father, I, I thank You that You forgive me. I pray that as uh, other people look at me, look at us, look at the church of Jesus, that they might not be so confused by the way we treat each other and by how we understand or interpret Your Word. God, would You help us, I pray, to to understand and to believe what You have said to us in a way that makes us like Jesus. Would You make us um, loving and attractive like Jesus is. And I thank You for His uh, grace to us. Amen.